How we doing, church? We good? Man, it's so good to see everybody here today. I want to take a minute, and as we get started, I want to welcome everybody who is watching online right now. We see you. We love you. And, of course, we love you over at that South Side South Campus. We love you there. And the best way we can show you is that is by clapping for you. So come on, church. Come on, will you clap for everybody who is watching with us? All right. Well, hey, we are in a series that we've called Nehemiah, and it's on the book of Nehemiah. So I know it's a little bit creative there, but it's... um. We're, we're in week three of it. It's an awesome, great book. I can't wait to jump in there. As we do, uh, uh, something fun happened this past week to me. I was prepping for my message, and my three-year-old girl, she's so sweet. She, I, was on, I was working on the bed. I was typing on my laptop, and she popped up on the bed, and she climbed up there, and she came, and she got close, and I knew she wanted something because that's the only time she cuddles. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's the only time. So it's like, what do you want, candy, whatever. So she got close. She put her her head right on my shoulder. It was like so cute. I was typing. She goes, Daddy, what's that? I was like, oh, this is a laptop. She goes, can I have one? And I was like, oh, uh, maybe when you get a little bit older. And she goes, I want to be big. And I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) But isn't that how life is? Isn't that how life is? When you're little, you want to be big, and then when you're big, you're like, no, wouldn't it be just great not to have a care in the world and have everybody take care of everything for you? That's just how things are, and that's a little bit of what's happening in the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, and if you have your phones, you can go ahead and pull that up, because we're going to be reading a very interesting passage of Scripture, right? This is not like a lot of passages of Scripture. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of locations. It feels like it feels like a genealogy, okay? So when you, you know that those sections of scripture, when you're reading the Bible, in your like daily Bible reading, you come to the genealogies. How many know that's just like your free day and you get to skip those? You're like, all right, we're good, you know? <laughs> so that's just, uh, that can happen sometimes. That's not what I want to do with this because there is so much significance in what's happening here. It's Nehemiah, he's got all of these names. But it has a lot to do with what's actually being done in the book. All right, let me rewind. For those of you, this is your first time, or maybe you haven't been a part of this series yet, I want to let you know what's happening in the book of Nehemiah. Why does does Nehemiah matter to you today? And the reason Nehemiah matters is because Nehemiah is looking at something that God really cares about that is broken, and 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 he says something needs to happen with that. And he's a part of the solution. And so it's really about fixing something that's broken. It's about restoring something that God really wants to see happen. It's about bringing hope to the hopeless. It's about bringing life to the lifeless. It's about bringing peace to those who are anxiety. And how many of you know that's a little bit relevant for us today? How many just in the last week have seen a little bit of brokenness in our world? And come on, just raise your hand at both locations, right? There's brokenness everywhere. And so Nehemiah really matters. It's got a lot to say to us right here and right now in our, in our lives today. This, this has something for moms and dads, husbands and wives, kids, grandparents. This has something for leaders. Nehemiah's got something for the church. Obviously, this is about building the kingdom, building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So there's a lot that, that plays with how church is done and how church should be done. There's something for everybody in this. And what happens in in Nehemiah, he sets out to do this monumental task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. 
the walls, by the way, that the current king had said, stop rebuilding. So he starts to do something that the current king had said, hey, stop doing that. And we find out that he prays. He lays this 40-day or, or months and months of prayer. He lays before he ever does anything. He lays prayer down. He's going to God. We talked about that week one. Last week, we talked about how he continues to pray, but then he has a plan, but then he takes a bold step and how that works together with his, his prayer to bring about the will of God. And today, I want to talk about how he builds a team to bring all of it to fruition. It takes a team. Nehemiah chapter 6, I want to show you this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Everybody say, wow. That's really fast. It's really fast. And what it is, it's favor, it's grace, it's planning, and it's a team. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Come on, somebody, say an amen. Come on, find three people and say teamwork makes the dream work. Find three people and say teamwork makes that dream work. It's true. It's true. It does. How many of you know this is true, especially when it comes to sports? How many sports fans do we have at North-South Campus? Just raise your hand. Okay. We got some sports fans. How many football fans do we have? North and South? Okay. Got some football fans. How many of you know in football, it really takes a team? Like, like just hypothetically, like, I, let's just say, you know, I don't know if this, you know, if you'd resonate with this, but like, let's just say hypothetically, your favorite team has a really, really good quarterback. Okay, just hypothetically, all right, mid-market team with a really good quarterback. And let's say you get to the Super Bowl. You know, you get there, and it's so exciting, but you have a bad offensive line. Everybody say, oh. <laughs> How, too soon, right? It just, oh, a little bit. It's hard. Yeah, because you can have a great quarterback, great receivers, but if you don't have a good offensive line, how many know you're not going to win the Super Bowl? Um, okay, so, but, okay, let's say, hypothetically, again, I don't know if this relates to you at all, but let's just say, hypothetically, you spend a lot of money fixing said offensive line, and it's better, like, and it's going to be really good, but you don't have a defense. <laughs> How many of you know you can have a really good quarterback and a really good offensive line, but if you don't have a defense, you're probably not going to win the Super Bowl. But we can pray right now that the trade deadline, something miraculous will happen. Come on, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What you see in Nehemiah is teamwork. Everybody's doing their part. And because of it, they build the walls of Jerusalem. They win the Super Bowl. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now, when you read through this passage, we're not going to read through the whole passage. But when you read through it, you can see it's a lot of next to him, next to her, next to them. They did this. They did that. It's a bunch of people doing their individual parts and all of them coming together, do what they need to do to make this thing happen. It's a massive rebuilding effort. It cannot be done. This should not be done. But God's with it. Nehemiah has a plan for it. And then he recruits a team to bring it about. What Nehemiah learns is that two are better than one and many are better than two. In fact, he has 38 people at least that we know that are involved in this rebuilding effort, okay? So I want to walk through this. We're just going to pick some sections. We're going to skip down, and I'm going to show you just a few observations that are, I think, interesting and significant and can relate to our lives. 
and then walk away with some conclusions that I think we can apply right now that will help us build a life on God and be in partner with God in bringing his purposes uh, to earth. So we're going to read through uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. If you're ready, jump in. Say, I am. All right, let's do this. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Everybody say, bah. Just kidding. Don't do that. It's just... <laughs> they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, let me pause just for a second and see what's happening here. It's clear that they are building a wall, but they're not, they're not just engaging in physical activity. They are dedicating this as they do it to who? God. They're dedicating their lives to God. I just want to pause for a moment and, and just encourage you with this reality that all of life is about God. All of life. Everything, everything in this life is from God. It's a gift from God. All that we have, all that we experience, the joy, the blessing, the goodness, all of it is from God, and it's meant, it's meant to be lived in honor to God. And so when we, when we really understand how this whole thing's supposed to be lived, it's like, God, you've given me this opportunity, and now what do you want me to do with it? I'm dedicating it back to you. I want to encourage some of you today to dedicate your life to God. Dedicate that situation that you're going through to God. Dedicate that marriage. Dedicate that financial pressure. Dedicate your business. Dedicate your kids. We did that a few weeks ago with baby dedication, right? It's, it's we're dedicating our life. We're saying, God, all of this is from you. I'm giving all of it back to you, and I want to honor you with it. When you find that, that's when you find life. Your life will have more purpose more meaning. Your business will make a whole lot more sense when you realize that God has given it to you to do something for his glory with. That's what this whole thing's about. Your life is meant to be lived in dedication to God. So they understand this. So they're building the wall, but they understand it's for God. All right, verse two. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. All right, some of you are like, all right, we got these gates here. We got the sheep gate. We got the fish gate. What's going on here? There's even a water gate for those who are a little political. All right, so let me show you what's happening here, okay? And this is Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah. So these walls have been torn down by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. This happened a long time ago. And so Nebuchadnezzar has come and gone. He's, he's not in the picture anymore, but his, his devastation is still there. His devastation is still there. And so Nehemiah and the Israelites are come. They're, they're rebuilding this wall. And you can see there in the, in the far end, that's the temple mount. That's where the temple was, and they, that's where they worshiped. So they're rebuilding the different gates. You can see some of those gates here. Let me outline those with another map so you can see where all of the different gates are. Okay, so you can see the fish gate up at the top and the sheep gate, uh, the east gate. You, you can see all these different gates, and I'll explain some of those here in a moment. But they're going about, and they're building the wall. They're rebuilding these different sections. And 
everybody has a part. And so I want to show you in verse 4, everybody has a part. You can see these, these people start helping out. Verse 4 says, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him. Everybody say next to him. Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And everybody say next to him. Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But watch this, very interesting. Their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under the supervisors. Supervisors, Everybody say, uh-oh. Our first sign of rebellion here with Nehemiah. Now, I just want to pause for a moment because everybody's doing something constructive here. Everybody's helping. Everybody's united. Everybody's involved in this task. They're working together except for these nobles of Tekoa. And we don't really know why. Some of them might have been scared. Like they might have been nervous, like showing up. We're going to find out in the next chapter, next week. We're going to find out that there's quite a bit of opposition to this whole rebuilding effort. And so they might have been nervous. Um, They might have just not wanted to submit to people. Maybe they just thought they were better. Come on, you know, some people just feel like they're too good. (laughs) Whatever it was, they said, we're not going to be a part of it. Because they opted out, they missed out. And I want us just to just look at that for a moment. It's possible to opt out on what God's doing. It's possible. And we do it all the time. And that's what we talk about every year at Vision, right? Beginning of the year, we talk about vision and and how what we want to do is find out what God is doing and do that. That's a life that lives on purpose. That's a life that's most blessed. We look at Proverbs and, and it details that out. Well, these guys, they don't get a chance to celebrate when this whole thing's done. That's what they miss out on. Their names, the only, the only thing they're credited with is not participating. They don't get a participation trophy. They get a non-participation trophy. That's their legacy. Oh, yeah, and those nobles, they, they don't have any share of this. Everybody's high-fiving at the end. Oh, wasn't it awesome? Man, yeah. They worship. We're going to see this at the end. Revival comes to the city. We're going we're gonna to see this. They have no part in it. They're having to sit by and watch. And I think it's a good lesson for us. It's possible. This life is very short. And it is possible to sit on the sidelines and watch God do something and not be a part of it. And I think this is challenging all of us to say, hey, whatever God's doing, I want to be a part. Ask yourself that question. What is God doing in your family? What does God want to do in your business? What does God want to do in our church? What does God want to do in our community? And let's lean in. Amen? Okay. So we, we see that. And then we'll skip down to verse 12, if you're following along your Bible. Shalom, son of Helohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I think this is really cool. He gets the whole family involved. You know, ministry, building the kingdom of God, outreach, serving, it's really great when you bring your kids along. It's really great when you involve them in the process. When you involve people in your life, your life group. It's a whole family affair. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa, and they rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Now some of you are like, wait, did he just say dung gate in church? 
in the junior higher in all of us is saying, <clears throat> Dungate. <laughs> okay, what's the Dungate? It, it literally is exactly what it sounds like. It was, at the very, it was at the very bottom of that map I showed you, and it's the place where all the refuge went out. So, like, like literally, it's the, it, was the, it was the trash pile. It was the sewer. So everything came out through the Dungate and, and lived in this valley that was across from the city of Jerusalem. Really glamorous job repairing the Dungate, right? How many of you know nobody was like, oh, Nehemiah, can I, you know, if you're passing out responsibilities, can I, can I handle the Dungates? Nobody was doing that. And yet, somebody had to do it. That person is Melchizedek. Look at this. Verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Melchizedek, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakaram. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. We're going to come back and pick up that idea here in just a moment because I think it's significant. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kolhazah, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Now, if the dung gate was not where you wanted to be, the fountain gate was exactly where you wanted to be. It's by a pool overlooking the king's garden. Come on, somebody, you know, that's the resort level treatment right there. That's kind of like working at the Ritz-Carlton Miami Beach. Still work but it's got its benefits. That's what this guy's doing. This is where everybody wants to be. Oh, fountain gate, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Skip down to verse 17. Next to him, the repairs were made. And then you see this section in your Bible that goes next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. And it lists out all of these people and how they all had a part in bringing this about. And then it comes to verse 22. The repairs next to him were made by the priest from the surrounding region. So, so the priest from the surrounding region came and helped out. Now, these guys probably aren't real skilled in uh, just as a priest. I can tell you, you know, we're not necessarily mechanically inclined, generally speaking. But they help out. Beyond them, Benjamin and Heshab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. I want you to see something just real quick, real quick right there. Nehemiah says, hey, I want you to work on the area of the wall that's by your house. How many know that just makes, that just makes sense? That's just smart. Like, you, you can work, like Nehemiah's like, okay, hey, I want you to be close to home. You're probably, you know, going to be fresh. You know, if you need to go home and grab a quick snack, you can do that. But also, you're going to really care about the area that, that is close to your house. How many of you know that God sometimes assigns us places that are close to where we live, close to our heart? And we'll unpack that here in just, a, in, in just a moment. But sometimes the thing that you're closest to, maybe it's a need that you're closest to, you're going to care most about. And that very thing might be what God wants to do in your heart to change it. Like that's how it works. Sometimes that's just how it works. Okay. Um, that's just how the kingdom gets built. Uh, skip down to the end. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Verse 31. Next to him, Melchizedek. Now, we're not sure if this is the same Melchizedek who was working on the Dungate. Could be. 
Could be a different one, but we know that Melchizedek, at least even this one, is multi-talented. Watch. One of the goldsmiths made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Okay, so that's the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. What he does, he rebuilds a wall. He brings God's will into existence by partnering with God to establish this place where the Messiah is going to come, where prophets had prophesied about revival taking place once the city was rebuilt. Nehemiah gives himself to this task. Three things I think we can apply to our life from this, that we learn from them, we can apply to our life. Number one, they worked where they were assigned. They had an assignment. Number two, they worked in unity. They worked in unity. And number three, they worked for a greater purpose, revival. Okay? They worked where they were assigned. They worked in unity, and they worked for a greater purpose, revival, all because they were on a team. Okay, so we're going to unpack this here in just a moment. Before we do, find another three people other than the three people you already found and tell them teamwork makes that dream work. Come on. Find three people and tell them teamwork makes that dream work. Okay. First thing that we see is that they worked where they were assigned. There's only a few people that don't do what they were told. It's the nobles of Tekoa, Right? But everybody else did what they were assigned. Now, some of them may have been good at wall building, but whether they were good or not, they said, if this is what I'm getting assigned, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I just want you to know, praise God, that's not how we're building our real building over at 50 Highway 291. We're like only professionals. All right, you can pray and give. That's how you can be a part of that. But... Um, and praise God, I'm not a part of any of it. That was the first time I touched a power tool in my life during that video. So, um, I, you know, I got my hands full with Ikea furniture. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, that's my mastery level. And I'm still calling my wife for help on those. So whether they were good at wall building or not, they built the wall because they were assigned I want you to know that God has an assignment for you. God has an assignment for you. And we took some time a couple months ago, we did a deep dive on spiritual gifts. And so I'm not going to take time to do that today. If you want to know more about spiritual gifts, because God has given you gifts and talents. God has put stuff in your life to build his kingdom. And so he wants to use those things. But God has an assignment for you. And and that's where, that's where it's so important for us to understand what God wants to do in our heart, in our life. That's one of the greatest joys in life is knowing that we're not just here breathing oxygen. We're not just here going through motions, but God literally has a design for your life. Come on, somebody. God has something he wants to do in your workplace. He wants to bring glory and honor to his name. He wants to use you to, to bring people to faith. He wants to use you to push back the darkness in your situations. God has positioned you. He is calling you. He has an assignment for you. Okay, so what is that? All right, I think there's two things that it might be. 
It might be what's in front of you. Right? We, we talked about how Nehemiah is like, hey, you live over there. Can you take care of that? Hey, you live right there. Can you take care of that? Hey, you really have a, pa- a passion for fostering and adopting. Hey, can you take care of that? Hey, you really have a passion for, for homeless people. Can you take care of that? That's how it happens. God will put a passion. Or maybe you know somebody who's like, who, who has been affected like that, and you have like this burden for them. And you're like, why doesn't everybody else care like I do? You all are sinners. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, man, I can't believe you all don't care about this area of the church or this area of the kingdom like I do? What's wrong with you? It's not what's wrong with them. It's what's right with you and what God is putting on your heart uniquely to build that part of the wall. And as you build your part and everybody else builds their part, the kingdom gets built. That's the whole idea. Everybody doing their part. And it might start, well, let me say this, it always starts in our own backyard. It always starts in, your, in our own backyard. This is good for all of us because especially those of us who love to just charge into ministry and take on challenges and give ourselves to it. Like that's been my whole life, honestly. Like I've just rushed in and I'm like, yeah, I'll serve and I'll, I'll be there early and I'll stay late for the glory of God. And what I've noticed happen is I can neglect my house. And I can't do that. And Nehemiah's saying, you have to take care of, number one, your own heart and relationship with God, first and foremost, always. Then your spouse, if you're married, your spouse. Then your kids, if you have them. And then you move forward. It's not that your house has to be perfect because that's never going to happen. Come on, you know that's true. Like there's always going to be plenty of messes. There's always going to be stuff that's not right. But are you speaking to it? Husbands and fathers, this starts with us. This starts with us. We have to set the tone spiritually for our, for our households. This is, God has set it up like this, and I know this isn't popular in America today, but God has set it up like this, and your, the, the spiritual level of your household will not exceed your spirituality. There will be a tug of war that happens. There will be a lid. And so what God wants to do with all of the men is ask us to step in and to step up. Amen? God wants us to do that. Obviously, wives and moms, and of course you're a part of this, but as, as, as husbands and fathers, we have to lead the way. We should not neglect our house as we're trying to heal the world. So it starts with where you are right now. And maybe God's put a, a, a passion on your heart to do something close. Something that you have a passion for. You could change the world by doing that. Okay. So it starts with doing something that's close to you. It also might mean doing what you have been asked to do. Sometimes like, oh God, I just wish... I would find your purpose. Oh, Jesus, help me, Holy Spirit, angels, come speak. Somebody show me a sign. Then John Torgerson will come up. Hey, would you mind helping host the door? No way. <laughs> no, thank you. I've got, I've got plans. <laughs> it 
God may have like big plans. Maybe God wants you to speak. Maybe God wants you to lead. Maybe God wants you to, you know, affect the nations, you know, start ministries, all of the sing, write songs, all of that. Maybe he, does, he, he has that for you. But you know what he probably has for you? The dung gate. That's how, that's how it works. It's the real test of discipleship, isn't it? Are you willing, are you willing to work in the place that stinks? It probably stunk there, literally, literally. So he's, Melchizedek is working there like this. I mean, you got to think when Nehemiah's like, okay, can you do the fountain gate? Can you do the fish gate? Can you, Malkasha, can you do the dung gate? He's like, yeah. <laughs> no. But again, what's interesting is he does it. And if, again, if it's not the same one who does all the other goldsmithing, then at least there's a, there's a principle that, there's, that he does it. And because he does it, he gets more responsibility. Two thoughts on, on why God doesn't give us more when we ask for it. Because this is how we approach God a lot of times. We're like, Lord, I want more. I want more. God, give me more. And we, we pray. Let's believe, you know, we're singing, I believe for it. We're like, yeah. We've got both hands up, you know, and we're singing, I believe for it. God, bring me more. Bring me more opportunity. Bring me more blessing. Bring me more favor. Two reasons why God is slow in doing that, slower than we would like. Number one God doesn't give us more because it might overtake us. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you're asking for because the thing that you're asking for would overtake you and it would overwhelm you. You can actually see this with the Israelites in the wilderness as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. God says, I'm gonna give the land to you, but I'm not gonna give it all to you at once. I'm gonna give it to you little by little. How many know that doesn't sound very fun? Like, how many that doesn't sound like a great testimony that's read, you know, on a Sunday morning? Oh, praise God, we got that miracle. Little by little. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good. But that's how God gives it, because watch this. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous, too numerous for you. He's basically saying, if I gave you all of that, those beasts would destroy you. So sometimes God's going to give you an answer to prayer, but it's going to be a little bit. Don't despise that. Don't despise a little answer to prayer. Celebrate it. Say, God, all right, you came through a little. God, I'm ready for more. And believe God for that and celebrate the little that he gives you. Second, God doesn't give us more because we haven't, seen, uh, because we haven't been a good steward with what he's already given us. Like, God, I want more. Oh, Lord, I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to serve. And he's like, yeah, but remember when John asked you to hold the door? He's like, I've already given you that. No, Jesus talks about that, right? Jesus talks about that. He, he says, the parable of the talents. We get, our, we get our, our word talent from that, from that passage. It's, it's this idea that Jesus is like, to one he gave 10, to one he gave five, to one he gave two. Another version, another five, two, and one. 
He's like, hey, won't you, and, and the one he was most upset with is the one who said, oh, I'm gonna take what you've given me and I'm gonna bury it. And he's like, why did you do that? I didn't give that to you to bury it. I gave it to you to invest it, to make more. Sometimes the place God is calling you to might not look real glamorous, but it might just be how, what God is gonna do in you to prepare you for what he has for you next. I, I, now, I know this, this, was my, this was my experience. 25 years ago, this fall, I started attending James River Church in Springfield. And I, I went there as a freshman at CBC. The reason I started attending there was my youth pastor was like, hey, don't fall, I, I, he knew I was going to Bible school. He's like, hey, don't fall away from God at Bible school. I was like, how, what? No, nobody can do that. Turns to find out, yeah, that people do that all the time. And he's like, so don't, don't fall away from God. He goes, I want you to get involved in a church. And there's a great church there, James River Church. It's growing. God's doing great things. Get involved. I didn't know anything else but to listen to him. So I, we drove down on a Friday, loaded our stuff in on Saturday. I was on the front row of James River on Sunday morning. I was at youth group on Wednesday night, and I asked Pastor Scotty Gibbons, who, who comes and speaks for us, couple times a year, every year. I was like, hey, I'm here, and I'd been really involved in my youth group back home, you know, and so like I like taught Sunday school, was, you know, kind of do, involved in worship, and I was like, hey, I'm here, you know, put me to work, you know, I can, I can play, I can play guitar and stuff, and, you know, I can teach things, and so, you know, just tell me where you want me to go, and, you know, I'll be, I'll just help things out here, and he's like, yeah, could you, uh, could you go stack those chairs? And I was like, I don't think that's a very good investment of my talents, but okay. <laughs> and I stacked chairs for months before I did anything else. <laughs> and I just got really good at it. I got, I got to work out every time. Like I, I literally was the chair stacking king. That's what I was going to be. I was like, I'm going to stack more chairs. I'm going to stack them faster. I'm going to stack them straighter than anybody else. I'm going to be the first one there and the last one to leave. Three months in, they're like, hey, our bass player left. Can you play bass? I'm like, I'm your guy. And I still stack chairs after we got done playing worship. And that's, that's what it takes. Sometimes it looks like the Dungate. Sometimes, some of you, your place right now in life stinks. And you're wondering, where is God? And I want you to know this. God may have you right where he wants you because he is doing something in you that is far greater than you. And we just got to say, hey, God, I'm ready and I'm open. All right, second thing, everybody say number two. They worked in unity. One of the things that's definitely happening, except for the nobles of Tekoa, is that they worked in unity. Unity, it's how teams win championships, isn't it? Can't win a championship if you're not on the same page. Like, like how many of you know, like one offsides player can cost a team an AFC championship? I know, it's still too soon, isn't it? It's hard. One person not on the same page, one person not being in unity can cost his team the game. In Nehemiah chapter four, very interesting verse. Check this out. Again, this is after chapter three. This is chapter four. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it had reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Everybody say all their heart. 
The ESV says, so we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The word mind there is lieb. It means inner man, mind, will, heart. This is the soul. This is the spirit. They worked hard with the same mind. They worked hard and they were on the same page. Where there is unity, there is blessing. This is true in your marriage. This is true in your business. This is true in sports. This is true in the church. Where there is unity, there is blessing. Okay, in the New Testament, God pours out a spirit, right? He per, he per, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, get ready. I'm going to pour out my spirit. They were all together. Look in uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That word together is like-minded, one mind, harmonious, unity of spirit, unity of thought. Because they had one mind and one thought, God poured out his spirit. He was able to do all that he wanted to do because they were on the same page. Now, let me just ask you this. Do you think they all agree with each other about everything? Absolutely not. Unity means, hey, I'm willing to lay down some small things that I would prefer to be a part of something bigger that I know is much more important. That's unity. You have to have that in your marriage. You have to have that in your family. You have to have that in the church. And when we do, God's going to pour out a spirit. Look, Acts chapter 4. Same thing. It's the same idea. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and, all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers were in one heart and mind. When God moves, people are in unity. When people are in unity and they're focused on Jesus, God moves. This has to happen. We've got to be together. We've got to be on the same page. And this is one of those things where, man, we're all going to have different things. And that's why I actually think the kingdom of God is beautiful in this way. Different churches have different callings and different purposes for different times. I think it's all awesome. I really do. If they're preaching the name of Jesus, praise God. I'm glad for it. I celebrate when other churches win. We all should. When they're all moving forward, this isn't like, oh, man, that church is doing this. Oh, do you, we need to compete. No, absolutely not. We're on the same team. But we all have different expressions of the heart of God. And that's beautiful. And that's what's so amazing. So find a place where you're like, I get this and I'm on board with this and I want to be a part of this and build the kingdom there. And then, and then we see they, they had their assignments, they were in unity, and then they worked for a greater purpose. They worked for a greater purpose. And that purpose was revival. So these guys, these girls, these priests, everybody who was there that Nehemiah could find, they all start stacking bricks. Some of them are making new bricks. Some of them are putting back the old bricks. Some of them are putting mortar in. They're all working to rebuild the wall They're doing physical work, carving wood, placing beams, hinges. It's all physical work, right? It's physical work. 
they're doing it. It's taking time. It's taking energy. All while they're doing it, they're doing something so much more significant than just building a wall. They're building the kingdom. Some of them maybe knew it at the time. Some of them, they just, Nehemiah showed up, was like, hey, can you start building this wall? They're like, all right, sure, I'll just start doing it. As they start building, you know what happens in their heart? They start becoming more in love with God. They start getting more excited about the kingdom of God. This is how it works. When you partner with God in whatever way you partner with him, serving here, being a part of one of our outreach teams, bring the kingdom to your workplace, bring the kingdom to your family. When you partner with God, you start doing the work of God in the way that God wants you to do it. Your heart begins to change towards the things of God. That's what happens. And what happens is because they're all on the same page, revival takes place. Look at this Nehemiah chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. Now these guys are all in at this point. They were just available, and now they're all in. And those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. They're, they take half a day and they're like, God, we're sorry. We want to read the word. We're, we're repenting. We're turning from our selfishness and we're turning back to you. And, and what happens is in Nehemiah chapter 10, they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. There is one word for sinful people who get that in their spirit. It's revival. That's revival, and that's what we should be praying for, church. Revival in our hearts, revival in our families, revival in our communities, revival in our church, revival in Kansas City, revival in our country, revival in our world. We should be praying for that. We should be working towards that. That is what matters. There is a very small amount of time that we are on this earth. Life is so precious and so short, and yet God allows us. He gives us the opportunity. He gives us the chance with what few days we have, with what few breaths we have, to be a part of building his kingdom. Saying, God, push back the darkness in this world. Rebuild the brokenness in our country. We can, we can complain about it, we can post about it, or we can change it. And the way we're going to change it is revival. The way we're going to change it is Jesus Christ, lifting up the name of God, worshiping the name of God, letting it change us from the inside out and saying, come on, come on, come on, welcome home. All you 75% of Kansas City who are far from God, get here and find Jesus. Not about us, it's about him. But get here so you can find him. That's what this is about. And it's happening. It's happening. I want to read just a, a cool story. You know, so many, so many cool stories happen 
at our baptism events, and they're just, they're so encouraging. But this one is from, from Nikki. She writes this. She says, I always knew Jesus was my homie, but would only talk to God when I needed something. Five years, five years ago, I found SPC and knew from the first hello as I walked in those doors, which I think that's very interesting. Because what was it that, that was used to speak to her first? Was it the worship? Sorry, worship team. No, it wasn't. Was it the preaching? Sorry, Scott. No, it wasn't. It was hospitality. It was a warm face. With someone saying, welcome home. With someone saying, whatever you're going through, God loves you and we're excited to see you. She says, I knew this was my church home and that I was about to hit the next level in my spiritual journey. And since then, I've learned how to speak to God regularly. I've built new friendships with fellow Christians, found room for to volunteer children's ministries where it's at. And I found joy again. I found joy again. I found purpose again. I found meaning again. I found life again. That's revival. That's what God's calling us to do. That's what God wants to involve all of us. He wants us to all be a part of, of bringing hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless. Nehemiah built a wall. We're building something so much bigger than that. We're building the kingdom of God. Every church that loves Jesus is doing this. They're a part of it. We're a part of it. We've got a spot on the wall, Summit Park. It's not our wall. It's his wall. We've got our spot, though. We've got our spot. I'm saying let's build it. Let's build it. Let's go all in. Start doing it. Brick by brick. Brick by brick. Some of it might feel like the fountain gate. Some of it might feel like the dung gate. But whatever gate it is, it's his gate, and we're building it for his glory. And as we all give ourselves to that task, revival is going to happen. I believe it with all of my heart. God is getting ready to pour out his spirit in a way we've never seen at our church. I believe it, and I am here for it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me all across this place at both locations? I just want to take a moment. Let's pray. We're going to worship here in just a second, but I just want us to just process this with the Lord. Would you pray? Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in our hearts, for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for what you're stirring in us, for what you're wanting to bring about. Lord, I pray that you would do everything that you want to do. I pray that, God, you would bring revival. And, God, I pray it would start with, with my heart, with Jen's heart, with our family, I pray we'd start with every family that is represented here today, that, God, we would grow close to you, closer than we've ever been. We'd have more of your heart. We'd see people for how you see them. We'd see needs how you see them, that our hearts would we'd be burdened for the things that you're burdened about. How we'd pray, we'd serve, we'd work, and we'd build the kingdom. Let it happen, God. Let it happen. 
With every head bowed and every head closed, I want to just take a moment while you're standing in the presence of the Lord. I just want to ask you, some of you here today, you're here and you know that God's speaking to you. And in order for, like, I believe God wants to bring revival to all of us. I really do. And so we're going to worship and just pray for that in just a second. But for some of you, in order to experience revival, you've got to be right. You've got to be right with God. You literally have to have a, re, a revitalization of your spirit, a regeneration of your spirit. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus brings. When he's talking, when Jesus was on this earth, he said something to a new friend. He said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That means you stop trusting in yourself and you begin trusting in him. You stop looking to yourself and you start looking to him. That's got to happen in your heart. If it hasn't happened yet, God wants it to happen. God wants to bring it about. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, that's, that's me. I need that. I need to be right with God. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, you're here and you're saying, man, this, this is speaking right to me. I want to get right with God. I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to do something powerful in your life. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Scott, I pray for me because I want God to make me right with him again. Just all across this place, lift your hand. Yeah, hands are going up. Hands are going up. Come on, hands are going up. I see it. I see it. Yeah, that's awesome. Other hands. Just hold up. Yeah, it's awesome. Over there, South Campus, raise your hands. Hands going up. Yeah, just reach out for him. He's there. Okay, now, if you raise your hand at both locations online, could we just make a sanctuary with God? It's a very, very important moment. And in your heart right now, just begin to say, God, I welcome you in. I commit my life to you. I want to be right with you. I want you to be my king and my God. I want you to be my savior. And Lord, all of us collectively in this place today, God, we welcome you. We welcome you to be our Lord and King, our God. But we say, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, we believe you for all that you want to do. We believe you for what you want to have done in our lives. And Father, we say yes to you. We say yes. We know that you're just getting started and we want all that you have for us. So Lord, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, let's worship.